You're listening to audio from New Horizon Worship Center, located in Waco, Georgia. If you would like additional resources, please visit us online at www.NewHorizonWorshipCenter.org. Today I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about hunger. Hunger drives you. Yeah, off that backpack. Yeah, you think we might think we planned that? How's that? Hunger drives you. Like when you get hungry, it's all you think about. Would you eat a rat? Or if you were dying of starvation and that's all you could find, you'd probably eat it. Most, some, maybe some of you wouldn't. I would. But a little, never mind. I would eat a rat. Depends on how hungry you get. You may take a couple of them to fill up. Boy, hey, never mind. I would never do it because it'd be wrong and cruel, and I know we love them and they're part of the family, but Doug and Jackie have a dog that could fill up a freezer. I'm not kidding. That thing's 16 inches tall and weighs 300 pounds. (laughs) All right, I'm getting off track. Um... (laughs) You're not you when you're hungry. I didn't get a biscuit this morning. (laughs) Uh, Yogi Berra, the great prophet, said this. You better cut that pizza in four pieces because I'm not hungry enough to eat six. (laughs) Sometimes hunger is in your mind. You know, if you go long enough without eating, you're not hungry anymore. You can starve to death and you're not even hungry anymore. You just go long enough to where your mind just, oh well, we're not eating anything. It can be in your mind. You know, you can say to a kid, are you full? Yes. I need you to eat two more bites of those green beans. I'm so full. I can't eat another bite. Scott, I need you to eat one more bite of the beans. I can't hold another bite. Okay, well then you break out the ice cream and load me up. I'll take a bowl. Let me get some cake and ice cream. Well, I thought you were so full you couldn't eat one more bite. Uh, um, are you hungry? I'm asking you today if you're hungry. What are you hungry for? In your life. Why can a kid eat a bunch of cake and ice cream, but they're too full to eat another bean? Because it's good? Because they want it? Because they must have it? I should eat some beans. Because it's healthy for me, and it's got vitamins, and my parents telling me to eat it. So I should eat beans. But I must eat cake. I'm going to find a way to make that happen. I'll beg for it. I'll sneak it. I must have some cake. I should eat the beans, but there are a lot of things in your life that are should. I should read my Bible, but... If something else comes up, I may not. And it may be two months before I do. Or I, you know, I should serve my wife, but 
And until those things become a must, they may or may not happen. They're probably going to go more towards the not happen. If you don't make it a must. I should eat some beans, but I must eat some cake. Remember what David said in Psalm 34, 8? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Why? Because once you taste and see how good He is, He can become a must and you'll be hungry for Him. I think that kid wants that cake so bad because he's tasted and seen that sugar is good. So he must have more sugar. David said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Why? So you'll be hungry for him. You'll want him. Your hunger will drive you to find him, to search for him. David also said, my heart and my flesh, they cry out for you. My heart and my flesh cry out for you. I'm hungry for you. I must have you, God. Look what Matthew 5, 6 says. Blessed, happy, or prosperous are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The word filled is to be filled, satisfied, happy, or content. They'll be happy, they'll be satisfied, they'll be content. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you'll be happy and content. You'll be full. You'll be satisfied. So what are you hungry for? Do you know hunger fuels our pursuit? If I'm hungry, I'm going to find some food. Hunger determines where you're headed. When you're hungry, it's all you can think about. See, I have a condition... And I treat it usually three times a day. I've tried everything. My physical condition is called hunger. I've tried treating it with sushi. I've tried treating it with barbecue. I've tried treating it with ramen noodles and steaks. No matter what I try, I can cure it for two to four hours. And the condition called hunger comes right back. Now, some of you it may last more than two to four hours, but for me, I, that's actually even a stretch. It's really more like 20 minutes. <laughs> no matter what. I can treat it with every, everything, any kind of food I've eaten, but guess what? I get hungry again. If I lose my hunger, I lose my pursuit. You know when you say about somebody... Oh, how's old Jimmy doing? He stopped eating. That's not a good thing. And when a dog or a cat or a horse or one of your pets, if they stop eating, you know something's wrong. They're sick. They need to get to a vet. They may not make it. Once they, if, if an animal stops eating, there's a problem. You need to look into it quickly. He stopped eating. That's not good. How do you stay hungry? You've got to empty yourself without getting too graphic. 
You must empty yourself. And what? You got to keep eating. Can't stop eating. You won't be hungry. And I'm talking spiritually. You've got to be feeding yourself. And if you don't eat, you don't grow. So we all want to grow and we all want to be more powerful in the spirit. We all want to, to, to grow and be more mature. And we, but the only way to grow is to eat. You're not going to eat if you're not hungry. So you got to keep eating. Uh, last, what day was that? Oh, Monday. This past Monday was Labor Day. So there wasn't a whole lot going on and uh, practice was canceled for the boys and Malachi didn't have to work and usually he has to get up early for school or to work on Mondays or whatever all he's got going on so he didn't have anything going on. So he got to sleep in Monday as late as he wanted and he slept in and then he got up and got him some breakfast or whatever. Well, I came in the house after doing... I hadn't gotten up and came up here to the church and stuff, came back, talked to Jesse, whatever. We were about to do lunch. So I'm asking the boys, we're going to make a lunch, and all right, we'll make something for lunch. What do y'all want to eat? And I asked Malachi, hey, Malachi, what do you want to eat for lunch? Here's a, got a couple options. Malachi said, I'm not hungry. All right, we want, you're not hungry? We're about to make food for everybody. He said, no. He said, I slept late. I just ate breakfast at 11. So I said, oh, okay, he just ate a few minutes ago. He's not hungry. So I talked to Jessie and decide that she's doing some other stuff, so I'm going to make meat pies for us to eat for lunch. Malachi finds out that Dad's making meat pies for lunch, and all of a sudden he's hungry. In fact, which for us, meat pies is just like dough with seasoned meat, and a bunch of shredded cheese on it, cooked in the oven. But these things, they had like, what, I cooked two pounds of meat? And so it was probably like, each one of them was, I'm going to hold out my hands, but I'm going to say probably like a square about maybe four or five inches square. Like pretty good size. How many did you eat, Malachi? Four? Five? Dude, he ate about a pound and a quarter worth of meat, a good handful of shredded cheese in each one, plus the dough to make them is like either the jumbo biscuit or the ones he ate were with croissants. So it had two croissants smashed together and rolled out for the dough, and he ate five of them. So that's ten croissants, about a pound and a quarter's worth of meat, and then a handful, five handfuls of cheese, good-sized handful of cheese, but he wasn't even hungry. He ate more than all of it. He ate more than I did. Because there wasn't none left. No. <laughs> no. He ate more than all of us, and he had just ate breakfast 30 minutes ago. It makes a difference if you like what you're eating. What are you hungry for? I was thinking about that when I was making those meat pies. When I was spreading the cheese on there, you know, we just buy the bags of grated cheese for whatever it is we're cooking. And I was thinking about, and when I was a kid, we used to have like blocks of cheese. And you had to get out the old cheese grater and sit there and, and 
pay attention so you don't hit one of your fingers or your knuckles on that thing. And then, like, but now, as far as I know, we just, I don't know a lot of people that grate their own cheese anymore. We just go buy it. I think they should ban grated cheese and make America great again. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> okay. Malachi decided to eat because it was good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I can sit here and tell you every single week all the time. I can sit here and tell you that he's good. But until you decide to taste for yourself and say, he's right. The Lord is good. Hey, I like having His Spirit present in my life. Hey, I like having His guiding hand help me father my children. Hey, until you taste and see, you you can take my word for it. And okay, that's great. I'm glad it works out for him. Or yeah, maybe if if that works out. But when you taste how good He is, all of a sudden it becomes a priority for you. And you get hungry. You'll start pursuing Man, you'll, Sunday morning won't be enough. You'll have to go get your own food during the week. You'll have to get into some worship. You'll be, you'll be listening to podcasts or YouTube. You'll be getting in the Word and you'll be listening because you'll need more food. You'll be hungry. Then the more you eat, the more you grow and the more food you need. It takes a whole lot more to fill me up now than it used to. In the natural and in the spirit. That's a good thing. That means you're growing. So I'm inviting you this morning to taste and see. Taste it for yourself. Take it in. Did you know you could drown? Excuse me. I started to say that wrong. You could thirst to death standing in a river. If you don't open up and let it come inside. You could work at Dasani and know all about water and know what kind of minerals need to be added to the water and all, but that doesn't mean you've ever actually drank it. And you can come in church and be surrounded by God's presence and be surrounded by His people and you can get these great instructions, and, but it does no good if you never make a decision yourself to take it in. You have to open your mouth and take it inside of you. You can thirst to death while the water is against you and around you and you can see it and you can feel it and you can hear it, but you don't take it in. You don't taste it. You don't apply it to your life. How long does it take to change? How long did it take Malachi to change from being not hungry to hungry? As soon as he heard what we were having, his mind changed. And his body was transformed to fall in line and eat. A lot of things, it, it doesn't like, it doesn't take a long time. You don't have to go through a seminar. Watch, we've done something kind of like this before, but I want you to, you got five seconds. 
to look around the room and just count how many brown things you can see in this room. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, everybody, close your eyes. Now, how many red things did you see? That's some people holding up a one, one, not, not that many. Okay, open your eyes. You didn't see too many red things because you were looking for brown. Now, with your eyes open, look around the room and see how many red things you see. Seeing several, okay. So how many red things did you see? Oh, look, five, five, six, six, nine. And see, some of you, even now that you were looking for red and you wanted to hold up a higher number like Sky, he probably counted maroons, he counted anything wine color, anything close to purple, anything close to red. I know he did, because I did. It didn't take very long. How? Well, well, all I could see was one red thing before. Yeah, seek and ye shall find. You change your focus. What are you looking for? What are you searching for? What are you focusing on? It, it's that quick. You count all kind of stuff, but if you're looking for brown, probably don't see a whole lot of red. Seek and you will find. It doesn't take a long time to change your focus. But if you change your focus, you change your mind. And if you change your mind, you change your life. Remember, that's what Paul talked about in Romans 12. Be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Change your focus. You will see things happen when you decide, I must. But as long as it's an I should, as my cousin would say, you're weak as puppy pee. <laughs> Most of y'all can guess which cousin says that. <clears throat> and I'm talking spiritually, mentally, physically. When you decide it's a must, it happens. Well, I need to get in better shape. Oh, I should get in better shape? You're probably not. You'll get in better shape the first two weeks of January, probably. And then there's maybe right dead middle of summer when you're about to go to the beach. You'll hit it hard then, and that'll be about it for the I shoulds. But if that becomes an I must, well, then your diet changes, your exercise routines change, your spiritually, mentally, physically, I must. That's when things begin to happen. That's an addiction. I must have you fill in the blank, whatever it is. I must have my drug of choice. Well, then you're willing to do anything to get it. You don't care who you hurt. You don't care who you have to steal from. You don't care who you... you 
That's an addiction. I must have that. So I don't care what it takes. I'm going to get it. John 6. Um, Jesus was talking and he gives kind of a hard word. And then he looks at the disciples and he said, are y'all going to leave too? Because a whole bunch of other people left. They're like, I can't follow. I'm, I'm done. And they all walk away. And Jesus looks at the disciples and he said, are y'all going to leave too? And Peter said, Lord, where else would we go? Man, we, we, we've given everything to follow you. Where else would we go? Peter said this, you are the one that has the words of eternal life. You give us life. We've tasted of that water that you offered. We, where, where would we go? We, we must have you. You give us life. Did you know something is going to control you? Something will control you. Now, you get to choose what that is. You can live under the control of sin or an addiction or a spouse or, I mean, something's going to control you in your life. Look at Galatians five 16. I'm going to read it to you in the Message Bible and then I'm going to read it to you in the, in the King James too. Galatians five sixteen. Oh, I apologize for the, the screen, the projector. We are having some difficulty with it this morning. So. so hopefully you got your Bibles. You can read along with me. If not, write it down and check up on me. My counsel is this. Live freely, animated and motivated by God's Spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. For there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with a free spirit. Just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. Is he talking about the spirit or the flesh? These two ways of life are antithetical. So that you cannot live at times one way and at times another way according to how you feel. Don't be led by your feelings on any given day. Why don't you choose to be led by the Spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence? Alright, now real quick, let me show you what, how the King James word is at. And then we're going to talk about it. What you're under the control of. What controls you? Sin and death or spirit and life. This I say then. Walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. 
You're being led. You're being controlled by something. Paul talks about that sin will become your slave master if you let it. Death will control you whether you want it to or not. So if I ask you to examine your life and tell me what's, what is it that controls you? Sin? Spirit? Self? I was thinking about gaming systems and how far they've come from like Pong or the old Atari to like now, even like PlayStation like the boys are in there playing Madden the other day and I walk through and think like it it looks like a real football game going on. Whoa, I didn't know anybody was playing today. Like the technology has gotten so good, but we can all agree on that, whether some people think PlayStation or Xbox or all these different gaming systems and all the... We can all agree that technology has come a long way as far as gaming systems go. But you know what's not changed? And one thing they all have in common, they all have some kind of controller. Every single one of them's got a controller. What controls you? Is it sin or death? Or is it life? Spirit. I would say that self-control is the opportunity to choose who you will let control you. If I have self-control, that means I'm choosing who controls me. Remember the two trees in the Garden of Eden and God said, hey, eat off of life. There's this other tree, the knowledge of good and evil and, and works and not just eat off of life. Choose. Choose life. Choose you this day who you will serve. I must have life. In my home, I must have life. Peace, spirit, joy, hope. I refuse. Not we should get along. No, we must have life in my house. And in my relationships, and when I choose where I work or what I do in my day, I must have life. When we sit and have conversations, I must. Joshua twenty four fifteen. As for me and my house, we will or must serve the Lord. It's a decision. Look at Ezekiel 33, 15. I'm going to wrap it up. Not Ezekiel. Make that Exodus. Exodus 33, 15. This is when God's, God's telling Moses, like where he's going to take him and take all the people and stuff. And look what Moses says in verse 15. 
And he said unto him, this is Moses saying back to God, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. In other words, God, if you're not going, if your presence isn't going with us, if you're not going, I don't want to go. I ain't going without you. Moses said, God, if you don't go with us, I'm not going. You know, God never intended to send them alone. God never intended to send his people, Moses leading them. We're here, God's called him. You know how I know? Because I know God and I know he wouldn't do that. But verse 14, the one right before the verse I just read you, verse 14 says, and he said, this is God said, speaking to Moses, and he said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. So God said to Moses, hey, my presence is going to go with you and I'm going to give you rest. And then Moses said, if you're not going to go with us, then I'm not going. That's the heart God's looking for. God, I know you're going, you said you're going, but I must have you. God, I don't even want to go if you're not going to be there. If your spirit's not going to be there, I'm not going. If you're not in it, I don't want to be a part of it. We're not going. God chose him to lead the people out of slavery. And that's his heart. God, hey, if you're not there, I don't want to go. It's not the attitude of a glutton sitting at a table, pounding the table. Bring me food. I'm hungry. The hunger I'm talking about is that of a baby. That's crying for milk. That says, I can't get it on my own. I must have it. I must have you. Your strength, your power. God, I I need you. I, I can't even do what you've called me to do on my own. I will die without you. The desperate cry. The desperate hunger. God, we must have you. Look at 2 Kings 2.8. 2 Kings 2.8. Remember Elisha. He's been serving Elijah. For six years. He's been following him around. And washing his hands. And serving him. While Elijah does miracles and Elijah hears from God and Elijah speaks to the people on behalf of God and he speaks to God on behalf of the people and Elisha is just following him around and serving him, right? And it comes to the end of his life and we're going to jump in and read just a little bit, just the little last part of his life. And Elijah, verse 8, chapter 2, verse 8, And Elijah took his mantle, the mantle. This was his hoodie. Mantle, it was a thing he wore, a little over, little overcoat, and it represented his anointing. It represents power. It represented the call that was on his life. Um, Elijah had started the school of the prophets. So he had all these prophets that were under him and he was training them and teaching them 
how to be prophets, how to hear from God. And so the mantle spoke of the fact that he was in charge of that. He was the president of that. This was his mantle. This is the same one that he threw on Elisha when Elisha was back plowing in the field with the oxen and he threw it on him and then walked on and Elisha had to pick it up and run back to him and then obviously gave it back to him about six years before this. And Elijah took his mantle and he wrapped it together and he smote the waters and they were divided hither and thither so that they too went over on dry ground. So he, he, he took the mantle, he rolled it up. You picture Elisha's just walking along with him like, what are we going to do next? Okay, here's a big giant river. How are we supposed to get over there? He takes it off, he wraps, it up, wraps up his hoodie, and then he whips the water, and the water hither and thither. I like that King James wording there. The water rises up, and they both walk across. Like, yeah, man, that was awesome. Man, I'm glad this dude's my friend. That was cool. And it came to pass, when they were going over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee. What do you want before I be taken away from thee? He said, Make a wish. But what do you want from me before I go? This is it. I'm about to be gone. So, so what is it? Ask anything. You obviously know this guy's pretty powerful because he just took off his hoodie and smacked the water and the whole entire river stood up and you walked across on dry ground. So now he's asking you right after that. He turns and looks at you and you're like, this is the most powerful dude I've ever seen. He's a magic. He's a wizard. He's not just a musician, magician. Wow. Now he says, what do you want? And Elisha said, I pray thee that a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. What a weird thing to ask. Thy spirit, what spirit did he have? The spirit of God. Of thy spirit though. I noticed that this time that I read it, I haven't noticed before that he said, I, I want a double portion of thy spirit. Well, the spirit that Elijah had was the spirit of God, but it was not yet Elisha's God. It was still the God of his master, Elijah. I want your spirit. I want a double portion of the spirit that you have. It wasn't his God. Yet, it wasn't his spirit yet. I want double portion of thy spirit, the spirit of God. He didn't pray for circumstances to change. He didn't pray that Elijah wouldn't die or be taken away. He didn't really know what was about to happen. Or mm -mm. He prayed for a double portion. He was ready for what was next. You know, there will be exits along the highway that you're on in life. Chances to jump off. That was his exit plan right there. He could have easily jumped off. What do you want? Well, I'd like to have my 12 yoke of oxen back, please. And I believe that's probably what he would have gotten. We probably wouldn't 
have the rest of these books and all these other miracles that he ended up performing more miracles than double the miracles that Elijah did and stuff that we know. And I think this was his exit. He could have jumped off right there. Verse 10 says, and he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Or do you know what you're asking? You sure? That's what he's saying to him. Do you know what you're asking me for? It's a hard thing. God, I want this. God, I want. God, I want. You know what you're asking? Nevertheless, if thou see me, when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. What's he saying? Press in. You better stay close. Press in. Stay close. Get up. Don't, don't go to sleep. Don't get caught napping. Press in and you're going to get it. And it came to pass as they, as they still went on and they talked that behold there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by whirlwind into heaven. That was the coolest exit ever. I mean, a chariot of fire, horses of fire showed up, and a tornado took him up into heaven. That was a cool way to go. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father! The chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and he rent them in two pieces. And he took up also the mantle. The calling, the anointing of Elijah that fell from him. And he went back and he stood by the bank of Jordan. Don't let your pain be in vain. It was his greatest moment of pain. His father, the man he had followed around for six years, the man he had seen do these miracles, the man that had poured into him and taught him, and, and he's now gone for good. It was this great loss. But in the middle of that great loss, he picked up his greatest calling. He picked up that mantle. And that was the call. And the, the thing I want to look at, the last thing I want to look at as we close, is he picked up that mantle. And that said he was now the leader of the school of the prophets. That said that he was now the number one voice to God's people. That said that this is his call and this is who he is and this is his place. And this gives him everything that Elijah owned. He now owns the material things, all of that. He picked up the mantle. He had it. But before he even got back down the mountain good, he ran into an obstacle that didn't care what position he had. That river. He ran right back into the river and there's this raging river that he's got to get across and 
and the other prophets, the, they're all watching from a distance from the other side of the river. And now he needs to get back over there. But he got the call from God. He's got the power. He's got the money. He's got what he needs to do what God's called him to do. But wait. See, you're going to come up against obstacles that don't care about your call. Life's going to throw things at you that don't care about how much money you have. They don't care about your title or your position or your influence. Who told you you could or who told you you couldn't? The river didn't care. That mantle would not help him get across that river. Look what he cries out. And he took the mantle, verse 14, of Elijah that fell from him. And he smote the waters. And he said words that have rung out through history. Where is the Lord, God of Elijah? Because the mantle's not enough. I need the God of Elijah. Where are you? I must have you. Where is the God of Elijah? Because that's the only thing that's going to get me past this obstacle. Where is the God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither. And Elisha went over. Elijah's last miracle was Elisha's first. I must have you. God, I must have your spirit. I must have you in my life. You, you, you must be my number one hunger. You must be my number one desire. If, if you're not going, I don't want to go. I don't, I don't want a position or a title or money or ministry or a talent. or If I don't have you, what's it matter? It's not worth it. Let's pray. God, make us hungry for you. God, make us hungry for your spirit. God, we love you. We must have you. Forgive us for leaving back doors open to our hearts and our minds. And for saying, I should do this and I could do that. But God, today as we, as we look into our lives, into our families and our homes and our churches and our ministries, And help us to say, I must have you. I must have life. I must have your spirit above all else. God, help us to walk in unity and to be in relationship and community with each other. God, we love you.
Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.